Thank you, Anne. Let me give you a little bit of a picture behind the scenes of what Holy Week at Easter looks like for many who are involved in leadership in the church and certainly for preparing services and leading things up front. We get to this stage of the process and our energy levels are just holding in there. And if you saw me before the services, I was trying to have all the different details in my head. It was spinning around a little bit. You know, on the computer, you hate those spinning wheel moments where you just stand there and that's how I feel at times. And for many clergy, it's how we feel about this time on Easter Day, which is something of a pity because it should be a day celebrating a bursting forth of energy and life and creativity. A uh, great theologian called Tom Wright, Bishop Tom Wright, um, expresses it that he seems his observation that the church does Lent much better than it does Easter. We seem to fit into that the disciplines of Lent and some austerity, some uh, going without various things and a solemnness that we go through the season of Lent. And he said that's all well and good. It can be an important part of our spiritual exercises. But only if by Easter and the season of Easter which starts today and continues, we burst forth with life and beauty and creativity, flowers and all that goes with it. We should be putting forward great banquets and inviting the community to come and share of us. I remember suggesting it a few years ago and the volunteers in the church said, no. Now, of course, there are times to rest and to recreate and to recreate. That is no less part of things as well. But we shouldn't overlook just what an enormous truth it is that we celebrate and live into that we represent Easter Day. Since the beginning of February, we've been going through a series looking at God's mission plan. What is God about? What is God doing from Genesis 1 right through to Revelation 22. And we've been summarising God's mission in this one line, Shalom in the sanctuary of God. Now, if you missed all those, you can go back and catch them up online and over church. But the point being, when we come to Easter, perhaps I should park the sermon series and celebrate Holy Week and Easter, then come back to the sermon series except Easter is the epicentre of God's mission. This is where we see shalom as part of the mission of God, giving full expression, and especially no more so than on Easter day. So today we're just going to reflect on a couple of aspects of the connection between resurrection and a gospel of shalom. You might recall that I said that the word shalom in Hebrew has no easy English equivalent. It's usually translated peace, and it certainly does include peace. But peace has a sense of the cessation of hostility, of the resolution of some form of conflict, maybe even making peace in a relationship. But shalom is so much more than that. It actually is a word for filling up, for refilling, for restoring, for an abundance, for a a nurturing and a fruitfulness, a liveliness, everything that is conveyed by being on a 
a life-giving pathway. All the blessings of creation are drawn together in this word shalom. So where does the resurrection fit within that? Well, our readings give us two of many different dimensions that we could explore. Once you begin to look out for it, you actually see it everywhere. In the second reading we had from John's Gospel, John 20, the night when uh, the first day of the week, that is to say it's the day of the resurrection, Jesus appeared to the disciples who were still fearful, locked away in an upper room hoping everyone else would just pass them by. But Jesus appeared in their midst and said the words to them, Shalom be with you. In the Aramaic, I'm quite sure, it was shalom be with you. Peace be with you. And then Jesus breathed on them. And in that act of breathing upon them, they received renewed energy, renewed confidence, renewed hope, renewed life. When Jesus did so, he was actually picking up the imagery from a prophecy from hundreds of years beforehand, from Ezekiel. Ezekiel 37 received a vision of a valley of bones scattered everywhere. Pretty much like a lot of our news feed these days as we reflect on the horrors of the world and we think, what is God doing in the midst of that? And in his vision, and we're going to see it in the clip in a few moments, God breathes into the bones. The Spirit of God breathes into them, into a stage where they can take breath themselves and regain life. It becomes an image of life beyond death. One of the great connections between shalom and the resurrection is that the darkness of death, the shadow of death, which every one of us encounters in those around us, those that we love, and in our own lives, it is one of life's great certainties, even more so than taxation, apparently. And one of the great things about Easter Day is that death has been defeated. Many years ago, when I was uh, still a teenager, I was in a game of charades with, uh, in my youth group, and my brothers were in the youth group as well. And one of those ones where you would write down the name of a, a book or a movie or a song or whatever it is, and you put it in a basket and someone else has got to try and charade it out. Courtesy of one of my brothers, I happened to put my hand in and picked out a piece of paper which I unfolded and became a very long piece of paper. I have not forgotten the name of the book. The book was called J.I. Packer's Introductory Essay to John Owens, The Death of the Deaf and the Death of Christ. I kid you not. I did too, it was a long piece of paper. So I was going into trying to charade it out and everything else until I got to the deaf part. I did a big dramatic death. And they got deaf. I got up again. They did another big dramatic death. And they said, oh, no, we've got that bit. The death of death and the death of Christ. But it's so true. Easter is the day when death dies. We've just sung it in the hymn. It's picking up the words from 1 Corinthians 15. The sting of death is removed. The chains of death have been broken. Death will not, could not hold Christ down, will not hold us down. 
We can look death in the face and know that there is life beyond it. Not just an ephemeral life, but a fullness of life beyond anything we've experienced here and now. And that started, that was released, that was uh, given forth, breaking forth in the Easter morning. We cannot picture actually what happened at the resurrection. There was no human witnesses to the resurrection itself. The death of Jesus, the execution of Jesus, too many witnesses to that, he surely died. And the risen Jesus, well, there are witnesses to that too. Those who touched Jesus' hands, felt the holes where the, the nails had gone, and there are witnesses to that. But no one was actually in the tomb. And I've often struggled, what would that have looked like? Did Jesus suddenly just shrug it off? Or... Fiona and I, um, in our discussion, Fiona mentioned um, earlier this the passage in Romans 8, which I had written out and I had in front of me, and I put it down somewhere. But anyway, it talks about how the spirit of the one who raised Jesus from the dead, the spirit actually came and breathed into Jesus to give him life. It's all part of the beauty of the, the Trinity, the Father and the Son combined again with, the, with Jesus that gave him life. When I viewed this, uh, this clip we're about to see now from uh, Ezekiel 37, it really helps me to picture of how Jesus emerged, not just battered and resuscitated coming out of the tomb. Jesus was vibrant, full of life and energy because the Spirit came and gave him breath, gave him life. So I'm going to play the clip now. Whether it's helpful for you to, to image, to think about Jesus' resurrection, whether it's helpful to think about whether in the midst of all the, uh, the dreadful news feed that we see, to realise that that is not the end of the story, that God raises up, God heals, God restores, God gives to abundant life those who have been victims, those who have been caught up as well. It is so powerful in that sense. Stay, if you can, visually to the end of the clip because it gives an incredibly powerful example of that vibrancy, that life-giving energy that stands forward and uh, striding out as well. The music is by Lauren Daigle, and it's one I highly recommend to you as well. John, you're going to come and sit with me in the sanctuary while we play that clip.
the, uh, the power of the imagery. When we talk about resurrection, we tend to make it a very theoretical notion that we shall be resurrected in the fullness of our physicality with bodies as real as our present existence as well. So shalom is an incredibly powerful connection, that, that wholeness, the healing, the restoration of the raising up is all conveyed by the notion of shalom. But there's one other aspect I want to touch on just briefly. In the first reading we had from Ephesians, 4, uh, Ephesians 2, sorry, uh, Paul describes the cross and what was achieved by the cross as the gospel of peace, as the gospel of shalom. And, G- and uh, Paul applies it to the realm of human relationships, of social relationships, where he says that all the things that can separate people off and divide people into us and them and the barriers we put up around ourselves to keep people at a distance can be broken down. Sometimes they're religious barriers. Sometimes they're social barriers. Sometimes they are ethnic and cultural barriers and the whole mix. Remember that moment when Jesus died and Matthew records that the temple in the that curtain of the temple was torn into two. The most holy place was opened up. Elsewhere it describes as the doors of heaven were open and the invitation is to come in to be present with God. That is also extended into the way in which we engage the opening of doors. Literally, it's great now we can have our front door open, the street door open in the church. But more than physically, that even uh, in the reality of social relationships, this should start, Paul applies it to the church. This would be the way in which you engage with each other in the church. Chains of of, uh, taking offence and refusing to forgive, of dynamics of vengeance and retaliation or seeking that others would come a cropper, you know, people will be brought down, is not the culture of the kingdom and is not the culture of the church. I find it incredibly tragic and troubling when you hear stories of different tribes, of different groupings, even different nationalities saying to others from one generation to the next, the little ones, no, we have nothing to do with them. Keep away from them. Keep a distance from them. And even in some cases, if you have a chance to to push back, to um, put them in their place, that's also encouraged. Those barriers are broken down through the cross of Shalom. God is a God who gathers, not a God who disperses. God who wants people to come together and if there are differences and issues, to work them through in God's grace. And if it's to start anywhere in this world, it needs to start in the church of God where we receive and welcome people regardless of whether they are a success or whether they've made a mess or whether they have made some good choices or poor choices, whether they've come from one culture or another, even from New Zealand, just got to say. Um, actually, in the New Zealand culture, there's a beautiful way of, of greeting and welcoming people. Um, one of the things that Fiona and I experienced and learned, and John as well, when we went uh, had our 
Perry back in New Zealand. I'm, for those of you who don't know me, I'm a Kiwi by birth, and it is in the blood. Uh, one of the things that Māori culture has shown the wider New Zealand culture and beyond it is how to welcome people. It's called a pafiri. When you come close to a, a marae, a village, a Māori village, it's at the centre of pretty much every town, you don't just stroll in the gate. You need to be invited by one of the village who accompanies you. And as you do it formally, you come with your head, your eyes averted, and you're asked, are you coming in peace or are you coming with conflict? And you have to give a gesture to show that we come in peace. And then there's a song of welcome, an invitation from the, one of the, the, the uh, senior women of the, of the Marae would sing and call it out. It's a very haunting song of an invitation to come. And as you draw near, they would, uh, the, the village would actually put into song who we are, who our people are, what is important to us, and invite you into that space, but ask you to go into song, who, who are you, where have you come from, who are your people? And as you go through that process, and it could take quite some time, you then get the hongi, the nose, the nose. Not quite a good safe COVID practice. Um, they did try forward to forward at the same time. But actually the, the sense is that we now breathe the same air. And from that moment, you are us. You are one of us. You are one of the village, one of the family. You are Fano is the word that they use. And uh, all the hospitality and even the corrections and the challenge and the rebuke and the encouragement, the whole mix is something you experience. That is something of the dynamic of the peace that comes through Christ even more so. When we get drawn into Christ and drawn together in Christ, we are encouraged to to recognise each other as brothers and sisters in Christ, as those who carry the image of God, who can come to the table regardless, all being welcome. It is such a rich part of the gospel that we should never underestimate. And if we are to have any credibility in our voice in the wider community, it is to be a sanctuary, a safe place, a place of refuge, a place of welcome, a place of shalom growing. So we can see how the shalom in the sanctuary of God is actually starts in the little outpost of that sanctuary. Each church is an outpost of that sanctuary. Shalom in the church of God, the churches of God, and how the resurrection has paved the way for doing just that. So many elements that we could focus on And uh, this has just touched the surface of a couple of powerful themes of why today, of all days, is the day to celebrate. Am I going to burst forth with energy this afternoon? Probably not. I shall rest and recreate and get into that space. Will the garden have a turnover tomorrow? I suspect so, all being well. Wherever the next few days take you, just reflect on the breath of God that enters into our lives. Breathe deeply of the Spirit and be people of the resurrection. Amen.